The Highlander Podcast is brought to you by Outdoor Product Design and Development, a four-year undergraduate degree focused on training the next generation of product creators for the sports and outdoor industries. Learn more at opdd.usu.edu. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Utah Outdoor Association, a business association focused on elevating Utah's outdoor industry through educational programming and events. Their membership consists of Utah's outdoor manufacturers, retailers, outfitters, and guides. Member benefits include networking opportunities, recruitment of talent, and brand promotion. More information about volunteering and membership is available at utahoutdoor.org. On this episode, we talk with Kyle Snarr, marketing leader, watch and gear enthusiast, and founder of Cantonment. We talk about his pathway into working with gear, his outdoor influences, and his latest venture reinventing the kerchief into a functional and fashionable accessory. Okay, welcome back everyone. This is Chase and joining me today is, a, I, I should mention, a family friend. Um, you know, the first time I met you, I, I, I didn't, probably didn't know I was, you know, meeting you. Um, I was too young to really remember. Um, but uh, Kyle Snar, writer, marketer, founder of Cantonment. Um, you've, you've been a marketing professional, um, you know, working uh, for companies like Struck, Flipboard, Vox Media, Gear Patrol, um, and now uh, starting a new role running marketing for Watchinista, um, you know, and, and starting your own company, Cantonment. So you're a busy guy. Uh, you've got a lot going on. But, um, you know, we first met when I was, I was probably four years old. So I don't remember. Um, this was in New York when our family used to live out there. And um, you got to know my parents pretty well, my siblings pretty well. Um, and then we somehow reconnected in the last couple of years, um, you know, after we, we both started working kind of in the outdoor space. That's so right. It's, it's been fun to reconnect and, and talk a little bit. You, you have more vivid memories than I do of <laughs> of the past there, but, um, it's been fun to reconnect and, and talk a little bit about that, that connection. Absolutely. Chase, thanks for having me on the show. I'm a big fan of you and the, the show as well as the program, um, there and been excited to see how it's produced some amazing talent into the industry. It's really cool. So thanks for having me on. And yeah, we do go way back and it was funny when we first started talking about it and you were like, now, wait a second. Uh, do you know Kelvin Anderson, which is your dad's name? Yeah. Which I did because growing up out here in New York, he was actually my scout master, <laughs> which was kind of this strange coincidence. And here we are all these years later. And um, not only, I'll just say it real quick, not only was he my scout master, but he was the scout master of my two business partners in Contonement as well. We all had him as a scout master. And as we can get to, Contonement is heavily based on some of those scout vibes that we kind of grew up with. Right. Well, I think that's a good transition. I, I wanted to ask you, first of all, what, I guess, what are some of those initial influences for you um, in the outdoor space? I guess, how did you develop a love or an interest in, in the outdoors? Does it go back to those scout days or was it before that even? Yeah. I mean, when I was growing up, when my family went on vacation, I never went to Disneyland. I never went to the beach. We packed up our minivan and we went camping. That's what we did. That was vacation for me was camping. And so, you know, I grew up in that type of environment and we grew up about, mm, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes from the Appalachian Trail. 
And so in, you know, in high school, you know, what we did in the summer is my buddies and I, we'd fill up a backpack and we'd go hit the Appalachian Trail for a week, almost every summer. Um, sometimes we'd be ambitious and like plan an actual 50 miler. Other times we just went and bummed around on the Appalachian Trail, talking to through hikers and meeting people and, you know, running out of food and calling our parents and, and having them come drop off some hot dogs for us somewhere random. And um, yeah, so for me, it was just, I grew up about an hour north of New York City in this area that was close enough to enjoy the city and far enough away to avoid it. Right. It, it seems like that area in particular um, gave you kind of a unique um, exposure to both the outdoors, but also the city life. And, and I don't know if that, that um, kind of helped pique your interest in, in marketing, you know, but it seemed like you were in the perfect place where you started to, to develop maybe interests in kind of the marketing brand strategy as, as well as the outdoors. Is that accurate to say? You kind of seemed like you were yeah. in the perfect place to blend those, those interests. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I think um, in terms of that side of things, you know, I, I definitely grew up, you know, you know, loving not just the outdoors, but the gear and the kit that went with it. And I also grew up in a, in a household where it was kind of an automotive household. My dad and my mom, for that matter, are both way into cars. And, you know, car magazines were always just lying around the, the house like crazy. And I, when I was growing up, when someone asked me, what do you want to be when you grow up? I would say one of two things, either I want to direct movies or I want to design vehicles, specifically cars. And I would sit down and I would doodle car designs for days and not just like doodling like cars that exist or, or car brands that exist, but actually coming up with my own car brand company and the names of the models and like creating my own brand around that. And I would design my own logos and I would, you know, design kind of almost like the story of that, that car company. And that really was probably my first interest in branding and kind of understanding what branding is and trying to kind of wrap my head around that as a little kid. Um, when I got out of um, high school and finally into college, I really by that point decided I wanted to be a film student. I really just loved storytelling. I had an amazing high school teacher who was a photography teacher and amazing high school teacher who was um, a literature teacher. And both of them instilled in me this storytelling. And so in college, I was really focused on film and understanding that and with a, with a kind of an emphasis in screenwriting. And about halfway through film school, I realized that I was not as interested in telling full-length feature stories. I was much more interested in telling shorter stories. And I kind of got wooed into advertising and understanding that like at the time, like a 60-second or 30-second commercial spot was a great place to tell very cinematic stories. And so I didn't change my major, but I ended up minoring in, in communications and basically kind of conning my way into as many advertising classes as I could. Normally you'd have to, you know, present a portfolio and get accepted into those classes, but I would just literally hunt down the teachers and kind of stalk them in the halls and then, and like befriend them and, you know, get them to laugh. That was kind of my goal. And they let me into a lot of these classes that I otherwise couldn't have gotten into. And I started really understanding advertising at the same time that that was going on. I befriended some graphic designers um, at BYU where I attended and we started doing some collaborative work where they would help me 
provide visuals for some of the copywriting that I was doing and I would help them provide copy for some of the visuals they were doing, which led to me getting into um, branding and a graphic design studio right out of school. Wow. Yeah. What, what was that um, experience like for you going from college to, to work in the real world? What was that, um, you know, working on real, real projects, right? I, I know that's something that our students struggle with, um, you know, working with some of these made up projects, right? That they have to come up with in class and, and designing for a problem that may, might not seem real. Um, I, I wonder if you encountered some of that as well on the advertising and film and marketing side. What was it like to go and, and actually work on, on a real project for that, you know, that first time? Yeah, it was very interesting. You know, um, I was right after graduation, I was interviewing at advertising agencies in New York and in San Francisco. Meanwhile, these two graphic design friends of mine, they had actual clients. They, they were freelancing during school and these clients grew and grew and grew. And so right after we graduated, they needed things like copywriting and they needed things like motion graphics and concepting for, for film and stuff like that. So they hired me to help them, you know, craft these freelance gigs for, for these clients. Meanwhile, I'm interviewing at big agencies. And then all of a sudden it was clear that these were not just freelance needs. These were kind of like client needs. And so we kind of banded together and just formed our own little studio. There's four guys in like an 800 square foot space, downtown Salt Lake City. And we started doing great work. And that work was mostly digital at that time. We transitioned from doing a lot of branding and brochures and print needs into, you know, focusing on um, doing some really innovative things digitally and getting noticed because those digital objects were being seen around the world and we were winning awards um, that were like not just national awards but global digital awards just again four guys a little 800 square foot space so the phone started ringing and real clients started calling us real real people with real needs not just you know our local kind of um, clients that we were doing all this work for and it was an interesting time for me because you know, I was wearing tons of hats. I was, I was writing, I was concepting motion graphics pieces, and I was doing tons of just production design because everyone had to do stuff to get the job done. You just all had to like roll up your sleeves and do it together. So I was learning a ton at that time as well. I didn't go to graphic design school and I don't claim to be a graphic designer, but I was learning from these really skilled graphic designers each and every day and how to pre-press, how to pre-press stuff, how to design for web and all that stuff. And so it was just a, an intense education and realizing that there was real money that was transacting based on how good we could do stuff. But what I gravitated toward was really getting, keeping the clients happy. And um, I really gravitated towards communicating to the clients and upselling the clients and getting them pumped on, on spending money, real money on creative things. And so I transitioned not too long after starting there from kind of a creative role into a business, business development role, which frankly still needed creativity. You know, I, I, I found that not, I was fine. I was fine at writing advertisements. I was fine at writing, you know, scripts, but I was actually far better at writing proposals because I did it creative, creatively. I, I looked at a proposal as a creative opportunity to sell the idea of being different and, and standing out. So um, I, you know, I loved crafting creative proposals and then we started winning lots and lots more business across the nation, even across the world, doing big work for brands um, like Adidas and Nike and, um, you know, several automotive brands that just thrilled me personally, as well as um, out brands in the outdoor space. And, and we're winning 
big business. I remember along that wild ride. So I was at that agency for about 11 years. And I, I literally remember at one point, you know, we were doing work that was being recognized globally. So, you know, I, w- I just was not surprised anymore who, who would call us out of the blue and ask us to do a project. And that was a weird feeling to be like, oh, Apple just called us to, to bid on a project. Yet that's not weird. That's like, I get it. Like we're doing high caliber work. And so it was really interesting to, to take that type of wild ride and to, you know, take a company from four people and at the, at the height of its powers, you know, we had four offices and 80 people. So it was just a really interesting ride to, to see that kind of, 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 of growth. Um, yeah. And then to also be in a, in a market in, in the case, in that case, Salt Lake city, where I was like, okay, here I am at the, at this point in my career, can I continue to grow within this market and have to kind of face that decision and wonder if I should try my hand somewhere else. So that was an interesting transitionary moment too. Right. Do you feel like you got not only a crash course in, you know, in design and graphic design and, you know, all of these other, you know, uh, I guess skills that you were, you were, um, you were developing at that time. Do you feel like you also got a crash course in product? Obviously you've, you've had an interest in product, um, you know, since, since being a kid, right. And hiking the Appalachian trail and, and, and before, um, when you're, you know, being presented these, these different projects with different companies, um, product companies, mm-hmm. I, I imagine you have to dive in deep and understand yeah. the brand, understand the product. Do you feel like that was a crash course in, you know, understanding gear and understanding product, you know, how, how important was that time for you to just dive in and, and understand brands and understand products? Um, even if it, maybe it wasn't a product that you were familiar with, you had to dive in and and try to understand it. Yeah, absolutely. For me, since I was on the business development side of things at that point, I had to understand that stuff to win the business. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was absolutely going into the history of products and understanding you know, the deep, um, the deep roots of some of these industries that we were playing in. I loved watches. I always had a watch on my wrist, but I didn't know much about the Swiss watch world and what went into high-end horology and, and the creation of these handmade, you know, like marvels that go on your wrist. And so I deep dive into that whole world and really tried to unpack it and understand it and understand the craftsmanship and, and what really watchmaking was all about and how, you know, what complications were and things like that. And so that not only did that help me win that business, but it also instilled in me a love for that particular type of product. And I have this deep love for, you know, watches now. And it's a, it's a type of product that has a ton of, of enthusiasts around that world. And you can really have a community of people who also love that type of product. Now it's a I also think of a watch as an important part of my, my kit now too, when I go on an adventure, like choosing that, the right watch, the right tool watch for that adventure is a big, important part. But that all stemmed from doing a deep dive crash course to win this piece of business. I think that's really interesting because um, the outdoor industry, you know, uh, you know I, it seems like outdoor people um, just pride themselves on knowing every little thing about their piece of gear. Right. And, and I think that's unique in a way, but as you're talking about watches, it's, it's not so unique, right? There's the watch people know everything about their watches. The car people know everything about their cars. Right. Um, and I think gear patrol, we're kind of skipping a few steps, right? That's, you that's you had some fine. very, you had some very notable, 
um, career career stops along the way, but um, you you end up at, at Gear Patrol, and and the Gear Patrol people kind of embody that idea too. It's people just who know every little thing about their their gear. Um, wh- why, I guess I you know, and that's kind of for the outdoor people too. Why do you think I, I get from the outdoor perspective, people want to know every little thing about these products because in a lot of cases their life depends on it. Right. Sure. Or their comfort. Um, but, but mostly their life. Um, in a lot of cases, what is it you think about maybe watch people or car people, or just people want to know every little thing about their piece of gear. Where do you think some of that comes from? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I think that we, as human beings, um, we, when we're born into this world, we literally have nothing, right? We have no we have nothing and and we're not we're not like the type of of beings who have super sharp claws or fur we need tools we need apparel like to survive we need stuff right and so it's actually inherent in us as humans to need to put the right things around us to get our to get the job done to survive to to thrive you know you know and i think the word materialism gets kind of a really bad rap i mean being materialistic i think is 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 not great but we can't survive without stuff so there has to be some good form of materialism you know when i started i was working at box media which you know they 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 have pretty big ideas and they they cover you know important news and i went from box media to gear patrol and i had to sit there and reconcile with myself like am I cool with working at a company that every single day, all their job is to do is to talk about things, objects. And I uncovered this really cool study. So she identified two types of materialism. She called the first one instrumental materialism and the other one terminal materialism. So instrumental materialism is stuff that we actually need, things that make us better at doing the things we need to do. They're instrumental to getting the job done. They're tools. And then terminal materialism was just stuff for the sake of stuff. And she felt like, you know, it's great to to go after instrumental materialism because objects can make us better at what we do. However, this other side, this getting stuff for just the sake of stuff, you know, she didn't see that as to be as healthy of a thing. And, you know, I kind of think of it like instrumental materialism when I get this get this object and it in, becomes part of my life, that's where the story begins. Whereas terminal materialism is you get this object and it becomes part of your life, but that's where the story ends. And for me, I just love that notion of instrumental materialism, that that is, materialism can't inherently just be a bad thing because we do need stuff, but it's finding the right stuff and the right tools to enhance who we are and to begin that story, to go on that adventure, to go um, make stories with that object. And I think, you know, for the writers that I worked with at at gear patrol, they were really great at at identifying objects that, that helped out that notion of instrumental materialism. They were enthusiasts around products and, you know, very cross-disciplinary respect between each of them in their, in their, you know, separate desks. We didn't hire writers who would write for about cars one day and bags the next day and cameras the next day and watches the next day. Each person on that 
in that company sat on an editorial desk and had this massive expertise in that one deep category. So they were like massive, crazy enthusiasts within each of those desks, but with the same degree of enthusiasm, enthusiasm across those desks. But they, but that story was all about how this, how these objects can make you better or, or, or create new stories and memories in your life. So, I mean, for me, that that's how I think about, products that I want to surround myself with. And in the case of like Cantonment, how I think about products I want to create and bring to others. Right. Can you share the, the name of that study again and, and, and the person that, that put that together? Um, I might have to send it to you. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Send it to me and we'll include it in the show notes for yeah. people. So sweet. Yeah. Cause that sounds really interesting. I'd love to dive into that because that's, that's a challenge that our students face um, every day, you know, when they're trying to, to, design a new product. I think so many of them, they go through our program because they love the outdoors. They love the activity, you know, the activities that they participate in, in the outdoors. Um, and, and they want to be a part of, of making products um, and making the gear that they use. But some of them kind of run into this wall and they realize, oh, am I just making more stuff for stuff's sake? Right. And, and so many of these students, they love the outdoors um, and, and they're passionate about protecting the outdoors and they're passionate about sustainability. And those two ideas really clash. Right. If I just making more stuff to make more stuff or am I making stuff that matters? And, and we kind of have to talk through a lot of that with them and, and some decide not to continue because that they just can't find a way to reconcile that. And, and some push through because they realize, well, if I'm not going to make better stuff, you know, maybe there aren't other people who will make better stuff. Like maybe I'm uniquely positioned to make stuff that matters um, and is going to add value to people's lives. And so I, I imagine from a, a journalism perspective, th- there's got to be some of that conflict as well. But, but um, you know, for someone who works at, at Gear Patrol and is writing, I mean, they're really doing all of us a favor who maybe can't do that deep dive. And, and I think a lot of us feel overwhelmed by the amount of stuff that exists in the world and we want to make the right choice. We want to find the thing that's going to be maybe from a sustainability perspective, uh, you know, the thing that's going to have the least amount of impact. And, and if it is going to have impact, you know, making sure that it's something that's going to last a long time. Um, so, you know, I see the role of, of kind of journal gear journalism as being really valuable. And so I imagine for you, that was, that was uh, a great experience to be able to, to experience gear from that perspective and diving even deeper and understanding it and um, being able to describe it to people and, and talk about it from that perspective. So um, no, I, I just think that part of the, the gear culture is really interesting. This idea that you have to understand how heavy your product is and what it's made of and, and all of that. It's really interesting. And I, I don't, I think that's pretty unique when it comes to physical products. I don't know if we overanalyze other parts of our life that way. Maybe we do, but I want to understand where my stuff comes from and, and what it's made of and who made it. And I think that's partially a generational thing as well. Yeah, I think that's important. I think that we are creating more kind of awareness around those types of things these days and we care about it a lot more. But again, I think part of that is just, I'm a huge fan of, of product plus story. And that story, we, we crave a narrative, you know, we crave being able to, you know, have something that speaks to us personally, but we also like to talk about our stuff to others and we want that narrative to share. So products need to speak to us and they need to also arm us with opportunities to speak about that to others. And so that's, you know, one of the big things I learned while working at Gear Patrol was the kind of the power 
of product enthusiasts and tapping into that kind of culture of people who care deeply about telling the stories around the things that they choose to surround themselves with and how, you know, how can I speak to that culture and, and leverage, honestly, leverage that culture to launch stuff that I've always wanted to launch. And so that's a big, that was a big jumping stone for me to understand how to launch a product that I was kind of working on in my head for the last four years um, with some, some pals that I grew up with. And then going and understanding and unpacking that, that kind of product enthusiast mindset and seeing how I can help, you know, create products that speak to that mindset and also speak to me. Right. Well, I, th I think that's a, a good transition point as well. I think so much of your career and your life experience is kind of built towards this opportunity to, to build your own thing, right? And launch your own product. I think too often there's kind of this, uh, this story that's, that's told that, okay, you have to be the right out of college founder of a company and launch something and it's going to be successful. And, and in most cases, that isn't how it goes, right? It's, I, I think your path is the more common path where you go to college, you get some really great experience at, at a variety of companies, you learn a lot, you understand people, you know, um, and then, you know, you, you have an idea, you know, through this life experience um, and through interacting with other people. And now you have the skill sets, you know, and, and the experience to actually launch your own thing. Um, and, and, the net, and the network, and right. the, and, you know, the partners, because that's something else you don't have oftentimes right out of school, you know. Right. So yeah. how long was, you know, with that all said, how long was this idea incubating? I mean, from the scout days, I mean, that, that was probably <laughs> the, the seed, right? Um, well, definitely the seed of, of cantonment is definitely, you know, happened growing up and our love for the outdoors and our, let's just say, are like for scouting. Like for instance, I, when your dad became my scout master, I was much older. I was 16 actually when he became the local scout master. And, and so I was already out of scouting and he actually brought me back in and I didn't get my Eagle or anything like that, but he got me to a life scout when I turned 18. I was proud of that. Um, but, but he got me to, you know, rethink about, about scouting and, and kind of, zoom in on the things I did like about it and not worry so much about the things that I wasn't so interested in. And I think that's true of my, my business partners too. You know, they, we weren't all like these crazy good scouts. In fact, most, most of us weren't, but we, what we did learn and love about scouting stuck with us. Right. And so I, I the story behind this product is um, every morning I would, you know, arrive in Grand Central and walk 20 minutes down to an office. I was working for a company called Flipboard at the time. This was about four years ago. And in the height of summer, um, you know, just walking 20 minutes in, in New York City, you know, the humidity, you can get incredibly hot and, and incredibly, unfortunately, sweaty. So I was often carrying with me at least one or maybe two bandanas. One I would use to kind of mop my brow or the other I would oftentimes tie around my neck if I had to wear a collared shirt to protect that collar from getting too sweaty in the morning. And one of these mornings, my friend Matt, um, who I grew up with, he's living on the other side of the country and, and he's a product guy. He works for an agency that makes products and designs products for, for other companies. And he called me up and said, you know, I really want to start a, a company of my own and make a product of my own. Um, I want it to be a soft goods um, that doesn't require sizes. Do you have any ideas? I would, I'd love to start this with you. 
And here I am like literally looking at my bandana and I was like, yes, I got an idea. You know, I, I carry with me this bandana that I use to, to, you know, for these different purposes, but it's, you know, a typical bandana is it's too big when you fold it up and slide it into your pocket. It gets, it's too big. It's too bulky. It's not comfortable to put in your pocket, but a handkerchief, which does fit in my pocket is just too small to do anything else with. You know, I can't tie it around my neck. I can't tie it around my head or any use it for any other purpose. And so, you know, we, I, I said the, the ideal product for me that we can start with that could be one size fits all is just finding the perfect sized tool cloth, the perfect size cloth. That's not a bandana and it's not a handkerchief. And that was about four years ago. And we've started iterating on that idea to try and solve for that ever since. Yeah. So, so four years about is kind of yeah. four years ago is when you started to, to really, you know, hone in on the idea uh, I, I think the idea of something that's multi-use is really interesting, right? Because you could just purely advertise a kerchief, right? And, and, and try to sell that as more of an accessory. But there's probably plenty of kind of kerchief, scarf, you know. That, that's Tons of them. A tough business, right? Yeah. Um, and I think what's really interesting, I think people are looking for um, products that, like from a sustainability perspective, something that has multiple uses, right? Something that can solve a few of the problems that I have. And it, and it seems like, was that a conscious decision as well? Is, let's make sure that we're doing more than just selling someone an accessory, right? Like this thing has to solve a problem, right? Yeah. Because trying to jump into the fashion industry, that's, you know, that's, that's difficult. Um, sure. But as soon as you start to solve a problem and pair fashion with a function of some kind, I think that's where something special can happen. Yeah, exactly. That was a nice tee up too. Yeah. Our, our, our kind of the story behind our brand is um, um, our motto, which is stylized substance, which is kind of that very idea of like pairing fashion and function. It's like we wanted anything that we create as a company needs to look good, needs to be cool, but needs to have functionality built into it and, and hopefully in more ways than one. So yeah, exactly. That was definitely the one of the main things behind it is if we could create something that just doesn't necessarily exist out there before and solves for a few different you know life hacks then we know that we could have something that brings true value and true substance to someone's you know everyday carry and so you know that that uh, this started with just a ton of iteration to purchasing a bunch of different really cool bandanas and scarves and handkerchiefs that are out there understanding what we liked, what we didn't like. Um, we knew that it had to have a few attributes. We knew that it had to be able to absorb moisture. We knew that it had to be um, soft against the skin. We knew that it had to be when it fold folded up on itself, it had to almost like disappear in your pocket. So we knew those things had to be there. And so we set out to find fabric, a fabric that could handle that. And we tried a bunch of different fabrics and we realized pretty quickly that from a cost point of view and from a function point of view, that just 100% cotton was actually the best solution because it, it ticked all those boxes and was still affordable to launch with. And that's not to say we will only do that material moving forward, but it's definitely the, was for us the right material to launch. And we were able to find this very supple cotton that worked perfectly in terms of its kind of softness on the, on the skin, its ability to absorb moisture and the fact that it could fold up and kind of almost, like I said, disappear um, into itself in, in your pocket. And then we also knew that we wanted um, 
like durability. And so we, we went with what's called a marrowed edge or a marrowed stitch on, on that around the edge. And that came straight out of our Boy Scout years. You know, that's kind of what the edge of like a, like, like a Boy Scout patch looks like. And we, we definitely knew we wanted that vibe instilled in this product and to, to make sure it felt high end and was durable. And so we figured out what the right size was kind of that's that, that Goldilocks spot between a bandana and a handkerchief. And then we also um, figured out quickly that right material. And so then it was all about, okay, well, well, what goes on this thing? What's the story that we want to tell? And having been working around product enthusiasts for the last few years and being one myself, I really wanted something that could speak to that community in a very particular, almost kind of secret handshake-like way. So what we decided to do was um, bring in another partner who comes with a design background. He was also one of, ironically, one of our scouts from our scout troop back in the day, and he lived in a completely different state than, the, than even the two of us who were already living, living separately from one another. And so virtually we brought these folks together, this team together and started um, designing uh, illustrations that spoke specifically to product enthusiasts, um, specifically in the categories of automobiles, um, watches and photography. And so the illustrations that we chose to put on these are hyper zoomed in blueprints of iconic products within those categories. And I, the whole idea behind them is if anyone, no matter what your background is, looks at one of these illustrations, they can go, wow, that looks really cool. But if you are in the know and you are a product enthusiast in that category, there's that secret handshake that's like, oh yeah, of course, that's the headlight cluster for a Land Rover Series 3. You, like, you just know that's what it is. Or you know that that's the handset from um, a Seiko dive watch because you're in the know. And we just love that, that idea of that second read story for people who are in the know. And I think for us, that, that allowed us from a marketing point of view to go di directly into enthusiast communities and give them something extra special as a way to launch that product without like having to do a Kickstarter. Right. And I, I imagine for that enthusiast, that handshake, right? Feeling in the know, feeling like you're one of the few who gets it has got to be special and, and drives a lot of interest for these people. Everyone wants to feel that way with a product, right? I think we all want to feel like, oh, I'm the first to get this, right? You know, I'm ahead of the curve. And, and I imagine that kind of fulfills that, that um, you know, desire for a lot of people. I, you know, when I first saw the product, I thought, wow, like a, a kerchief bandana company. It's like, how do you, you know, it, it, at first glance, um, and don't take offense at this, like, I, I think a lot of people would think, well, that, you know, that's just a, a square piece of fabric, right? Um, easy enough. Um, but as you're talking about it, I think it's, it's, it really hits home this idea that everything is designed, right? Not everything is designed well. I'm reading this book, um, you know, the design of everyday things, right? And, and, you know, the whole purpose is that, you know, everything in this world is designed, right? Even the simplest of, or seemingly simplest of items. Um, and just hearing you describe like the care and attention that goes into a product, I think is really special. And I think you're turning something that otherwise would be a throwaway. It's like, oh, you know, it's a kerchief, you know, you know, I, it's something that you just, you use and dispose of in a way. You're creating something that, that is something that you'll want to treasure, right? Not only because it's beautiful, but it's something that you'll create 
memories with, right? You'll take it on all of your adventures. You'll use, use it on, you know, to, to shine that watch that you love or, you know, whatever it is. Um, I think you're taking something seemingly simple, uh, but putting so much care and attention into the details of its creation um, and, and, and really selling it that, okay, this is something that you're going to want to take with you and, and you're going to create memories with, which I think is really special. It, it's been one of the most rewarding things of launching this company is seeing the community, you know, taking our product out there and doing something amazing with our product, but not just, and, but taking a picture of themselves with it, with this pride of like, like I went here with this object, you know, we have pictures of people hanging their um, kerchiefs on the top of, you know, you know, markers on the top of peaks across the, across the country, which is such a cool, and, and we never asked anyone to go do that. They just went and did that. And that's such a really cool emblematic um, marker of, a, of, an, of an achievement that just, to me, I never would have expected someone to do that with their product, you know? Um, yeah, it's interesting, you know, the, the extra innovation that came out of just iteration as well is, um, you know, again, it all goes to who you partner with because there's three of us in this company right now. We're all kind of co-founders. I'm focusing on the marketing of this product. Um, my, my friend Matt is focusing on, you know, the, the fulfillment and the, the, the manufacturing. And um, he comes with a real kind of like craftsmanship background. He's a woodworker and, and a leather worker. And then Kenny, our third partner, he's focused on that branding and that design and that packaging. And really, he's also the fuel that keeps us in line because there was only two partners for a couple years and we weren't getting very far. And it required a third person to come in and actually inject some fuel and some accountability into us doing our job. So finding people who don't duplicate your skills, but finding partners who complement your skills is super critical and a big lesson that I've learned. Um, because my partner, Matt, was a leather worker and a woodworker and was we were working on this product together, you know, he just naturally was like, I, I need something to kind of, you know, wear this this kerchief and so he busted out some leather and cut out a little you know neckerchief slide and all of a sudden it was like oh this is a cool little you know thing to include and maybe kind of plus up this package for someone and all of a sudden we started doing i started doing a lot of research around what where that came from and what that was and like neckerchief slides actually kind of started in great britain and part of that where we're kind of the scouting world began and traditionally in Great Britain they're called woggles and so we kind of mm. decided to name this product you know this 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 accessory to the to the accessory the woggle so you get when you buy a kerchief you get actually two kerchiefs plus a woggle and um, as we were messing with that we realized real quick that to launch you know leather was a little prohibitive so we moved to um, we moved to nylon for launch, a nylon woggle. And it has a little stud and can fold, up, fold on itself. And one day, you know, we're playing with it. And, and my buddy Matt's just like, well, what if we put a little buttonhole in the corner? And that would allow you to fold the woggle on itself differently. And you could actually hang it from your belt. Because I'm going to need, I need a, a tool cloth with me when, in my shop all the time. And we thought that that would be like a really cool kind of way to, again, take a standard everyday product and do something a little bit more, innovative and proprietary with it. And as we started playing with it more and more, and we got some samples back with the buttonhole, it became crystal clear that not one buttonhole wasn't enough. So we ended up putting one in each corner. So a total of four. And that 
allowed us to actually take a kerchief and turn it into its own little tote. So you can actually put an ob- some, some stuff in your kerchief and pin up all four corners, attach it with your woggle, and you've got kind of an impromptu makeshift tote, which I thought was really cool. And again, so for us, I never would have come up with that on my own. I never would have thought to create a, even a strap to go with it. But because I'm partnering with people who think similarly as I think, but like also have their totally like their own experiences, their own ideas, their own craft and expertise. We're able to kind of create this um, really unique function, additional functionality into an everyday tool. And so again, we, we feel kind of stoked because we're not just creating another bandana. We're literally doing our best to create a new, fresh, different product than anything that had existed prior to its time. It seems like that's it. you. You have lots of products that, when you create your own category, that's where you can really start to find success, right? It's like if you launch into an existing category, you're one of of thousands, right? But when you say, "Well, we're we're something new entirely," right? a lot of people can say that, right? But sure. if you can back it up with with new features, like you are, you kind of create a category of your own, which which I think is is really exciting as well. Have you, have you kind of found that you're starting to carve out your own space? Um, I think, you know, again, I come from like a branding and marketing background and obviously the story that we're trying to tell from a brand positioning point of view is just that, that this isn't a bandana. This isn't a handkerchief. This is what we're calling a kerchief, but it's this new and different product. So we're definitely trying to project that message and create content and storytelling around those features to make it feel different and new. What's cool is that I think people who are using it do realize that it is something different, that it isn't just another bandana. It isn't just another handkerchief. It is something that they can connect with in different ways, whether that is through style or storytelling or functionality. Yeah, that that makes your job a lot easier when you don't have to do any convincing, right? Well, still doing a ton of it for sure. <laughs> right, right. But at least people people get it, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I, I well, yeah. It's it's so funny because that's something that we actually say when people post pictures on Instagram of how they're using their kerchief in in all kinds of ways and in, in ways that we hadn't even anticipated. We kind of tag them as you know, so and so gets it because they're they're they they do they literally got got received our product and then got it, which was really cool. Right. And I, I imagine for you, that's exciting where you have these influencers, you have product people, gearheads who are out using this and finding new, new uses for it. That just continues to increase the value, right? And create increases the value proposition when you're advertising this product to more people. I mean, if, if that list of, of uh, features just keeps increasing... Right. That's, that's a beautiful thing for you. Right. And, and because that's the, the collective, right. That's, that's a group of people coming together and sharing their different experiences of how this product is being used. So um, a product that continues to develop new features and new functions will continue to, to have value for more people. Right. Yeah. I mean, one of the really cool stories that I'll share real quick is amongst all the different functionalities that people have been in use cases that people have been finding um, one of our one of our customers um, pinged me on on Instagram and sent a picture of his newborn son who had essentially confiscated his kerchief as his kind of teething blanket and all of a sudden like I never would have thought that that's something that we created for you know 
kind of more like adventure and fashion would be, you know, one of these indispensable items for a dad and 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 then his son and become this kind of, you know, soothing <laughs> like little toy or, or 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 object for this for this baby, which I thought was really cool. Right. That is really cool. Yeah, that's there's there's a whole host of possibilities, right? And there's no way for you to think of them all, but um we live in a in a great time, you know, through Instagram and, and other social platforms, right? That that you can get that feedback so quickly, and and hear those those positive stories and and um, you know continue to, I don't know. I, I think it's just really really special that you can find new applications for the product. I think that just that bodes well for it. Um, I guess you know, you know, we've 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 sung the praises, right, of starting your own company, but. Um, what, what have been some of the unexpected challenges that, that you've faced when launching this? Yeah. So, you know, it's, to be honest, we've launched this amidst a pandemic, you know, and this was a product that was innovated or thought of long before a global, you know, pandemic, but, but we launched it during that time frame. And who would have thought that, you know, we would have been launching something that could be used as a, as a face covering in the time of, you know, the, this, this era. But, um, so that's been interesting because, you know, from a wholesale point of view, there have literally been companies that's like, wait, you have, you have what you have bandanas? Like, yeah, we'll take them. We can't keep them on the shelves because people are looking for types of face coverings. So that's been, you know, kind of a little bit of a silver lining during really tough times for, for folks. Um, one of the, maybe the three legs of our stools was definitely these really cool ma and pa like menswear shops that are all throughout the world. And, you know, I've curated a pretty substantial list of ones that I was excited to introduce our product to and to reach out to. And we're at a time right now where for, for companies of that size and of that, of that kind, where they depend on a lot of foot traffic to their brick and, brick and mortar locations, it's rough, you know, and, and, uh, you know, a lot, I've gotten a very positive response from a lot of them saying, yeah, that product's really cool. I wish I could purchase some for my store, but I am currently only open by appointment only and, or I'm not open at all. And I'm just trying to unload all this inventory of stuff that I have on my shelves right now. And so we'll see you later. And so we've had to basically think, had to innovate and think around that, that leg of the stool and almost essentially almost remove it as, as one of the pillars that we were banking on building our company around because those, those companies, which I love and I get a lot of inspiration from and, and a lot of good vibes from are not in a, a super strong position to take on new product currently. So that's been something that we've had to think, okay, well, what are we going to do to replace that leg of the stool? You know, we had really hoped that that could be something that would sustain us. And so we're trying to figure that out now and we have some good ideas and you know one of those I'll just share real quick is is we're working on several collaborations right now and kind of replacing that leg of the stool with collab efforts so that is that's really cool because our product literally is a canvas that would work can work really well for collaborative and co-marketing efforts um but I think the other thing we're just learning and and trying to like kind of wrap our heads around is like we've we've had relative success with our launch we've made back the money from our initial investment and so we're now needing to figure out the happy and uh struggle of like what do you do next like how do you reinvest and when and how do you launch new products and do those products 
do you iterate on what you've already done or do you start, you know, opening up to different product ideas, which we have a ton of. So it's right now it's the, the difficult matter of trying to figure out, all right, we, we've, we've been relatively successful now what, and, and making sure that, you know, with these cards that we've been dealt that we're now playing them in the right order at the right time. Right. So, so with that, maybe ending on a, a more, uh, a positive note, right. What, what excites you about the future of the company? It sounds like you, you've had some relative success, um, and a lot of great ideas. Um, you know, you know, I understand if you can't share some things about the, the sure. future, but what excites you about where, where the company's going? Um, the most exciting thing, uh, for me personally is that we've created a, a product that people are into that if you look at it, um, it is a very specific size and it has these very specific placements of these four buttonholes. And I had this realization that, that um, with that, we have kind of a unit of measurement. This, this creates um, a building block that we can start iterating with. And so what, I'll, what I can share is we are thinking of new products that interact with that unit of measurement, that interact with that very specific silhouette that we've created and create new products because of the interaction of the kerchief and something else. And so for me, it, it all of a sudden opens up to a world of products that work within a system that we're creating. And, you know, I, I'm my kid, I have a bunch of kids who love Legos and they, and if you know anything about Legos, it's all about the system and how like the brick is this unit of measurement. I'm not going to go ahead and claim that we have anything as innovative as that, but it did inspire us to go, okay, well, how do we create um, additional products that interact, interact with existing products and create a new product because of that interaction? Right. No, that's exciting. Well, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see where, where it all goes. Um, I, I can't wait to see it. And, and uh, how do people follow along? How's the best way to stay in touch with yeah. you personally um, as well as with the company and all things happening with the company coming up? Basically the best way to follow me and to follow us is Instagram. Um, you can follow me at Kyality on Instagram, K-Y-A-L-I-E-Y. And you can follow Contonement at Contonement Co. And follow us on our website at contonement.co. So just for you guys, we put together a little gift. We have a promo code for our website that you guys can try out our product if you're interested and get a 20% off discount. You can just go to contonement.co and put in school, all caps, as a promo code and get 20% off um, and free shipping. So check it out. So back to school. Okay. Yep. Well, great. Kyle, thanks for taking the time, um, you know, and, and working through us, you know, with, with choppy zoom connections and everything. So, um, appreciate you taking time. It's, it's good to catch up with you and hear what you're working on and, and good luck on the new, new role as well. We didn't really touch on that, but maybe we'll have to do a part two and, and hear about, you know, everything watches. In cool. your new Let's role. do it. Okay. <laughs> well, thanks again, Kyle. It's, it's great to talk to you. Thanks for listening to the Highlander podcast. Subscribe and listen for more outdoor stories and content wherever podcasts are found on highlanderbag.com and each Sunday at 4 p.m. on Aggie Radio, 92.3 FM in Cache Valley.